Hello, beauties. Welcome to Rebels on Purpose, a truth-telling podcast where we explore what it means to live boldly with purpose, on purpose. Through real conversations, we anchor radical curiosity, awareness, and love as fundamental tenets of our lives. We commit to relentlessly calling ourselves and one another up through presence, openness, and saying what needs to be said. This show is our way of calling a modern-day circle where we focus on freedom, truth, joy, and the celebration of being fully alive. Please join me, Lindsay Nazan, and my bestie, Jamie Matiasen, as we explore the fruits revealed to us through a devoted practice of soul inquiry as we journey towards our sacred responsibility. All right, all right, all right. Let's do this. Hi, James. Hi, Lens. <laughs> Welcome um, back. Podcast thanks. number three. I know. It's very exciting. Yeah. This one's been um, a long time in the making, <laughs> like going on 46 years or so. <laughs> yeah. So this, this topic is intense. Uh, And it is one that has been circling around us for the last little while to the point where we just can't seem to get away from it. That is true. (laughs) Because it's not, it's not a fluffy topic and not that we're here for fluffy, but you know, it's a, we kind of got a brand new podcast going on. So it does feel like a hefty weight to bring into the conversation this early on, but I think it's important. And, um, so we're going to talk about body image today. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the, the, the easiest way for us to even consider this is that every woman is going to have some way to relate to this in, in some way, every single woman on the planet will have some story about this, some connection to this. And I think that's, that's what makes it feel big mm-hmm. to me and also necessary. Yeah. Yeah. It feels big to me because it's something that has been imposed on me my whole life. And I don't think it's just women who struggle with body image. I think all genders struggle with it. We're going to speak from our experience because we identify as women. Uh, And there's a particular subjugation that happens to the female body. Um, And our podcast is about rebellion. (laughs) We've kind Mm -hmm. of committed to that as our our life's purpose is to have rebellious conversations. And that is why we've decided to just bring this conversation to the table because it is rebellious to talk about this, the way that we're going to speak about it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, I'm, I'm really looking for uh, the community to come and have real conversations about this and to tell the truth about our experiences. Um, I know as I've gone on that that has dismantled the shame for me in so many ways. And it gives me perspective when I get, when I get triggered, which is, you know, could be a hundred times a day or, you know, 10 times a day. It doesn't matter. It happens every single day. There is something that comes. And the key to this has been to bring um, consciousness to, to the messages that are always being fed to me. And then linking that up with the narratives that I carry and then starting to unravel those and dismantle those. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How many times a day do you think Mm -hmm. about your body on average? 
Well, it's 3 p.m. <laughs> and I've probably thought about it, I would say probably 20 times today already. Mm-hmm. That might be an underestimate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think it happens um, when I'm not even thinking about it. Something will just push me into that direction. And I think what's happening for me now is that I'm stopping to actually be with the thought rather than go down with the story around like, oh yeah, this is, you don't look good here. Or like, uh, don't look in the mirror when you go through your bedroom, like all of the little things that keep me, um, bound to the story and and to the pain that is associated with that story. And that's what makes it stronger for me is not acknowledging it because it it has power over me because I go away. Um, and I, I have no interest in feeding the story anymore. (laughs) And that's like a full-time fucking job. It's a full-time job. And I, I mean, I know I've said this to you before, like, I'm frankly kind of tired of it. And, uh, I have to be really careful about how much weight I give to this topic. Like I want to talk about this in a podcast and I want to talk about, um, our experiences, but I also want to talk about ways for us to move past this and what tools we can use and what tools I've used in order to find a little bit of peace around it, because we could talk about this till the day we die, literally, and still not feel resolved. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I've gotten to over as I've gotten older, right. It's just, it's kind of what's come with age for me. Well, and you've done a lot of personal work around it. You can, you continue to look at it. And when you face it and really see the amount of mental, emotional, and literally physical energy that is being put towards this conversation, this, the self-obsessing thoughts around how we look or how we don't look or how we should look or how we shouldn't look like every quadrant, every corner, it can be filled with a version of a story that makes you and I less as physical beings because we don't look a certain way or because we do look a certain way. This is the craziness of this conversation is that this is not about the thin ideal, right? Like every, you and I have very different bodies Yep. Very different shapes, very different expressions of our physical structure. And we both have the same storyline about yep. that we're not enough because we don't look X, Y, Z, or because we look at ABC. And that's what I want to put on the table okay. is this dismantling of an external ideal that has been placed on us. The authority of that. Yep. Yeah. The very oppressive uh, and and containing sort of caging Mm -hmm. narrative that makes us actually be less in our lives. And it's, and it's shrouded in this conversation about how we look, but Mm. really what it is talking about is how we be in the world. Because if we're small in all the ways and physically is the ideal of being small physically, well, how do we express ourselves from Mm -hmm. that place? You know, that's, that's what's important to me in the conversation, because I have lived so much of my life identified with my physical as a, as a form of worth. (laughs) I'm 41 years old and I've had a ton of health issues in the last decade. And I'm watching the ebbs and flows of beauty or fitness or, uh, 
like a feeling of vitality or glow or whatever adjective you want to put on it come and go in my life like the freaking weather in Victoria you know like it changes every five minutes I cannot hold on to that it's very fleeting and and I am with you it's just it needs to be less important yes yeah there's so much more important in the world and you know one thing that really got me more interested in this conversation with you in particular was the day that we were having this conversation uh, with another, some, some other friends and someone said something nice to me and complimented me, but it was very much about my physical. It was like, you know, why would you even be worried about that? Like you're perfect or something along the line. I don't, I honestly don't remember because I did not allow it to permeate. I was like, (laughs) nope. Um, And then, you know, I, I told you about that conversation because it triggered me in the moment because I could feel the other person there was there was a few of us there and there was another person who was there and and heard that comment be made to me and I felt her shrink Mm -hmm. in this compliment coming my way I felt her go away it was like she felt less than because someone was complimenting me it was awful it was so awful and it wasn't it wasn't anybody's fault of trying to do that or be cruel. It was, it was just, I was so aware of everyone's conditioning and I was like, holy shit. So I told you about it and your response blew me away. You just, without even a hesitation, you were like, the way that you look, your beauty is the least interesting thing about you. And I just remember being like jaw on the floor hearing you say that. And it was very emotional for me because no one has ever said that to me before (laughs) ever. Like it just, it never even crossed my mind that someone could think about me that way. Well, it could could be construed as, as that could be construed in so many ways that I'm jealous or that I don't have the beauty, so I can't keep it up. So I'm going to level you. Like it's a, it was a bold thing for me to say, but I love you and we know each other. And so to say that I knew where that was going to land because it is the least interesting thing about you. It's the least interesting thing about most women who are in my life. And yet when I look at the ratio of time and energy and effort that we spend on this thing, this external thing that we will never achieve because it is, we are part of a system that is designed to never let us succeed in this. Even supermodels who have the ideal standard of beauty that's being shoved down our throats have this shit. Like you can see it in the ones who are telling the truth about what it actually is because then they'll get a blemish or, you know, they'll start to lose their hair or whatever, whatever it is you're chasing around this thing. And it just is such a distraction from the work that we need to be doing in our lives. And for us to find, find our purposes and find out what, what actually, who we actually are. Like there's so many amazing things about you and so many women that we, we, we talk and and run with that. I don't want to talk about what you look like. Okay. Just, I don't want to talk about it. I'll talk about it. If we want to talk about it like this, if we want to start to dismantle this, these systems, but the way I think that we do that is not by going after, you know, the, the Instagram ads. I mean, we will talk about that in a minute, but we have a little way to do that, but it's like, I'm not going to, I'm not interested in trying to dismantle the systems because that's fruitless labor. (laughs) I am interested in sitting in circle with women, having these conversations so that we can find our own power in our own lives. And then when I'm living from that place, the women who are around me, like my daughter and her friends, you know, they're that, that's how we change these systems. It's like, we, we start 
with keeping our side of the street tidy and doing our own work, right? And when we say these things to each other, it it impacts us. It is what will start the changes. And it's hard work, like to tell the truth about these things is not easy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have like a first memory of uh, <laughs> when you were first objectified or when you first self-objectified as a kid or a teenager? Yeah, I do. I don't know that I knew what it was at the time, but I do remember, um, I do remember, uh, the associations with food really young. Like I had a pretty, uh, voracious appetite. Like I remember that as a kid, like I would just like, my grandma would cook for me and I would just be like, yeah, let me have it. Like climbing into the pantry to grab canned cherries. Like, and she just loved it. You know, she loved to feed us. And I remember somebody saying something about that at a time where it was like, you know, like, well, she really can eat a lot or she has an appetite. And I was young. I was maybe like, you know, nine or 10. And I remember like thinking, a feeling maybe a shame response, but not being old enough to know what that actually was. And, you know, looking back where the comment came, it's like, oh yeah, well, that makes sense. But that started at a young age, like the commenting on consumption really. And I grew really fast. Like I was five foot seven in grade seven. So I, yeah. And I was active. I was never inside. So like, I can, I can have those memories. I think the first one where I thought, whoa, this is going to impact me as a woman was when I was about 12 playing in the backyard with my sister, my cousin, and my grandma, who I adored and who adored me and who taught me a lot of things about life had said something along the lines of with thighs like that, she's never going to find a husband. And I don't remember how the, the story got back to me. I don't remember if my mom relayed it back to me after because I was having a water fight in the back. Like I remember the bathing suit I was wearing. So there's these punctuated moments where older women who hadn't done their work (laughs) around their body image were projecting onto me in a really, really like really harmful way. And, you know, I can see that now of like, Oh, they just weren't, they hadn't sorted out their own stuff, you know? Um, But that's, that's what I was talking about earlier. It's like, if we sort out our own stuff (laughs) and we do our work and we look at all these shadows, then when we're in the company of other young women, we don't put our shit on them. Right. And cause that harm. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, it's comes back to just being aware about these things. And like, you got to look at this shit, like, and so many aren't looking at it. So it's like a minefield out there (laughs) for for all of us really. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of us, a lot of women don't know how to look. It's yeah. just, it's too deep and too wide of a cavern, you know, of pain. And like you mentioned the word shame, which I, I think is uh, something to really look at in this conversation, because mm-hmm. there is a design of shame that is intrinsic in the body image uh, conditioning that we have through our society, particularly in the West with uh, having it sort of be like tight and tight and light and plump and all of that, all those Mm -hmm. shitty words that we put (laughs) on what we think we're supposed to look like. And if we are outside of that norm on any level, you know, flawless skin, voluptuous hair, just all there's 101 ways we could, we could talk about it, but what shows up if you don't fit in that, in that 
very small scope of what beauty ideal has become, then you are full of shame. You're full of self-loathing. You're full of uh, guilt and sort of like self-punishment is what comes from it. You know, like I have a lot of young memories of being really mean to myself. Mm -hmm. Like I remember the first time that I got stretch marks on my thighs, my inner thighs as a kid, I was like 11. And I remember we had to, you know, put on our gym strip. I said that to Ari the other day and he was like, wow, you are old gym strip. Really? (laughs) Gym strip. Like anyone who doesn't know what gym strip is, look it up. It's a thing. (laughs) It was a thing for decades. (laughs) I guess no one has to go to PE anymore. So they don't know what gym strip is, but anyway, it was pretty funny. I digress, but, um, <laughs> so I, yeah, I remember I would never sit cross-legged with, you know, in these PE mm-hmm. classes, we would get put in these lineups, you know, which was also awful by the way, where it's like, pick the person you want to be on your team. And you're always afraid you're going to get picked last. And you're sitting there obsessing about your stretch marks. Like this was, yeah. this was my reality when I was like 11 years old. And I remember I would not sit cross-legged. I always sat with my yeah. knees together and I would like hug in because I didn't want anybody to see them. You know, and then fast forward 10 years and I was working at the bar and Mm. I was a coat check girl. And I remember I knelt over the edge of the bar to grab something one day. And this bouncer came up to me and he, he tickled my hip. Like you could, there was like a space between my shirt and my pants. Yeah. And I had some stretch marks that wasn't a belly top, but it was, it popped up and I had stretch marks there. And he tickled them and then he commented on it. Like, I can't even remember now what he said, but it was something like, oh, look at you. I guess you're not as not so perfect after all. And he commented on them and I was livid. Like, I, I still feel the fury inside now. And if he ever was to listen to this, he knows because we never, ever were friends after that. I could not forgive him. Like, I couldn't get over it. I was like, you violated so many things when you yeah. said that me and when you touched me like that and felt like you were entitled to say that to me like god and i mean he felt terrible it was but it because it was his thing too right showing Mm -hmm. up to that conversation and so i mean that's a 10-year span and then i think back to going to mexico with my uncle and the mexican guys wanting to buy the bonita who was with my uncle and my we're in this like milkshake (laughs) shop and my uncle's like bartering to trade me for a CD that he liked that this guy was playing in the milk shop place. Like, and of course it was all funny, like, ha ha. Like it was all meant to be sweet and funny, but inside all that it was teaching me was like, you are nothing more than what you look like. Commodity. Yeah. Just just a commodity to be consumed, to be passed around, to be traded for CDs. Like the whole thing was just so inappropriate. Um, You know? And so these are, these are the, you know, very milestone moments of my childhood that brought me to believe that my worth was very much based in my physical appearance. Yeah. And I also grew up with a mother who struggled with Mm -hmm. her body her whole life and with eating. And I too had, had, had so much around eating, like the secret eating that I would do because I would feel like I was always eating too much Mm -hmm. because I was the same as you super athletic, (laughs) always a mover. Like I grew so fast. I was way taller than all the boys in school. It was bigger than everybody like, you know, and so it, it starts to dig at you and it does formulate a psychological understanding of oneself that is very fractured. Yeah. Um, And so I understand why 
people don't want to look at it. Yeah. The amount of shadow that lives inside of that story is it, it's it's multi generational, right? It totally, yeah. Some of it belongs to us, and some of it's been passed to us, and and you don't even know which thread to pull on first, right? Because it leads. The I think the the crazy thing is is it will lead to when you start to unpack this stuff. It's like it starts to get really personal, and it starts to go into your family and your roots, and like that shit's hard to manage that, you know, to have those conversations and acknowledgements. And, um, and so there is, I think there is a way to do it. And, and one of the ways to do it is to actually to start to speak it. Um, that was where, that was the transition for me because it was like, I think once when I had my children, (laughs) there was no going back, like truly like you, you, things just aren't ever going to be the same and they're never the same for anyone, but like really childbirth can really, you know, throw a loop in it. And I remember telling you this story about the, when I went to the gym, because you're, I was two days postpartum and I had my first doctor's appointment. I lived on Maine in 16th and I walked to Granville and Broadway, which if you're from Vancouver, it's a pretty long haul. And I had just given birth to a 10 pound baby and I was 26 years old. So, um, but I, it was this badge of like, I had to earn my body back. The only thing I could think about, it was just, it was just horrific. The only thing I could think about was like, I have to get my body back or, you know, my husband's not going to find me attractive and like, Oh God, all the shit. And I was the first one to have a baby. And everything around you tells you, you have to get your body back. Like that's priority. Meanwhile, you're not sleeping, you know, you're looking after another human. And I went to the gym and they said to me, you know, they did a body comp of me getting me all set up for my program. And I was like, I'm going to do this and get back into shape and la la la. And he told me that I was obese. And I was, I think I was maybe two weeks postpartum at that point. So yeah, there was some things going on. And I was very thin when I got pregnant, like very, very thin. And so this whole conversation threw me, I never went back because I had so much shame around it. I never told him. I did. I think you're probably the first person I actually told that story to a couple months ago because there was so much shame around it. And then, then you go into the all internal coping mechanisms, right? And then it gets more dysfunctional and it gets more toxic. And we know that shame needs light. Like it needs to be seen. It needs to be witnessed and God damn, if that isn't the hardest thing to do is to talk about the one thing that you're supposed to be, you know, that's your badge of honor in the world is your looks and your body and your shape. And then having to say to somebody, oh yeah, well, I was told I was a beast today. Like, <laughs> holy shit. So the talking about it um, in safe spaces, obviously, um, is where I started to be able to like, to be with it in a different way. I was like, oh, this isn't actually, this isn't all mine, (laughs) you know, like, but when you're young and you're going through it, it's like, it feels like it's all inside of you. It's like, all these things are wrong with you. You can't even see the, the destruction that's actually pushing down on you that actually has nothing to do with you. And I think that's the, that's what breaks my heart about young women. And because we both went through this, you know, that all the young women are going through this and now they have social media to compete with. And so one of our little tools here that we talked about that we both do is when we see inappropriate ads, we block them and we report them. (laughs) Like do not put diet pills in my feed. Do not talk about being fabulous over 40 and showing a woman doing a fucking push up in her six pack and her underwear. Like, 
I report it as offensive or inappropriate or whatever, whatever the options are. Mm -hmm. It's like, we have to start doing that. We have to start outing this stuff. Right. And I think as women in at this age, we, we get to lead that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember we talked about this a while ago when we were at the mall in Calgary that day with Ken's, like with your kiddo, like years ago, she was like, (laughs) I don't know, 14 or 13. She was just young. Right. But she was at a really impressionable time when like going to the mall with mom and mom's friend, Auntie Lynn's, it's like, "Mm, I don't really know if I want to do that. But she's a (laughs) sweet kid. She's like, okay, I'll go with you guys. And, you know, we walked into the parking lot, got out of the car and on the, on the, Friggin' billboards like it was basically a billboard outside mm-hmm. of the mall was victoria's secret ads and there were two or three of them and it was women that were not wearing any clothes they had bras and undies on with like a piece of sheepskin draped over their shoulder and they're like in the snow somewhere rando and it's like victoria's secret like you know yeah come come on in and we'll warm you up like it was just unbelievable and the airbrushing on these women's bodies was so obvious yeah you know and and they're like yeah yeah just these impossible sizes of their bodies with completely ill-proportioned like their bust sizes were insane and then they had no no waist and like no thighs like it just didn't make any sense looking at it it was like I can't even understand but then but the first thing you do when you look at that at someone like at 13 is like think oh shit I don't look like that I don't think I look like that I definitely don't look like that I'm 13 so you know now what do I do and so anyway I just I had a very visceral very angry response when I saw those ads and and Kenzie was there and I I just kind of went off about it and I kind of stopped and I was like we need to look at this for a minute and led into this, you know, Auntie Lindsay diatribe conversation with with your kid who, you know, she's so sweet and always ready to hear Lindsay go on a rant. But like, I I hope that it gave something to her to look at as far as like, okay, I don't I don't need to blindly walk by this ad and let it do its work on me psychologically. Yeah, I I get to push back against that and ask questions and be critical and be angry. I get to have some rage about this because that isn't real. And there is a stereotype of unreal that is being put on us and expected mm-hmm. by this this culture, greater culture in which we live. And I just I I don't know if that was the day I stopped subscribing, but it was certainly a day I recognized that I was pushing back and I yeah. was start I was starting to feel nauseous. Yeah. About what I was seeing. And mm-hmm. I think it was because I'm watching the, you know people that I love who are growing up, who are struggling with the same things. In fact, more, they're struggling with even more than I struggled with Yeah. Um, because of the internet and because of the Insta, the Insta fitness filters. And, and yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, it's one of those things that we have to help these young women navigate too. It's because like when, you know, I had a lot of friends who were saying like my kids, like I really, I, my kids were the last kids in their classes to get phones. I really held on as long as I could. And then at some point it became like, they became like, you know, socially rejected because they didn't have phones. So we went there, but you know, I couldn't, I had other parents saying, you know, like you got to block them on these things. And I'm like, no, we actually have to teach them how to use these things. Like our children were born into the internet world. They don't know a world without it. They never will know a world without it. We have to give them tools. And when she was really young, I just remember, well, I mean, she wasn't that young, but she was, you know, 10 or 11 when she got her phone 
And I just remember saying like, when you see something, if it makes you feel bad about yourself, ask yourself, what is this? What is this trying to sell me? And see if you can see, like if that ad comes up or something shows up, even if it's another girl, you know, she's still trying to sell you something, you know, some idea or some dream or some altered reality of how perfect things are. And I don't know if she ever used that tool, honestly, but it's, we have to do that. Like we have to help them navigate this shit because it's, it's, it's 10 times worse than we had it. And we are still impacted by social media. Like we just have way stronger boundaries with it where we're like, um, no, thank you. I'm not doing this. So it, it is, it's insidious and it is everywhere. And yeah. And, and the, the waking up to it is, is job one and calling it out. Like when we hold my daughter in front of the billboard and we say, this is an unrealistic expectation. <laughs> that woman would fall on her face. <laughs> like, she... <laughs> you know, like it's just, it, it, we have to just have the hard conversations. I remember when you and Les and I went to the pool last year yes. and we walked across the pool and, you know, this was just last year. So we were, you know, 60, 45 and 40 or whatever. And there was a young girl watching us. And I remember you made a comment about it after of like, she was watching us like take up space in our bathing suits and just not thinking about it really. I mean, we, we talked about our little things we thought about, but it wasn't like we didn't have our hands over us. None of us were wearing shorts over our bathing suit, bottom. you know, like all the things that happen. And I thought, wow, that is, that is actually how it has to be because there is nothing more breathtaking than watching a woman who is totally comfortable with herself walk by you. Like there's nothing that is more compelling to me than when I see a woman who just is in her body in a real way and owning it and making it less important. Like that to me is a woman who's done her work and is continuing to share that with the world, that gift that she has earned through pulling these, these systems apart in her own, in her own life. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, that that moment at the pool was really powerful for me uh, because we had been talking about it the whole like we spent a week together, the three of us. And, you know, and then we made this commitment that we were going to do this triathlon. And it was like, OK, let's go swimming, you know, and you had been training a lot already. And so, you know, you came you went in and you did your swim and Les and I kind of frolicked around and did a little bit. But then we went in the hot tub. And so I was kind of in this observing place while we were at the pool because I was. I was really observing how each of us in different stages of our lives Mm -hmm. were navigating the personal connection to our bodies. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we all have shit. All three of us have our own shit around our bodies and uh, the comparisons that we're used to making and all of that. And when we went to the pool that day, it was like we had a silent commitment, the three of us, that we were just going to get suited up and we were going to go to the pool. We were going to do the job we had to do and we were going to have a fucking good time. Yep. And it was not about looking at each other. It was not about comparing. It was not about talking about it. It was not about giving it any energy. Yep. And I really felt that while we were there. And mm-hmm. then I noticed, because it's just a thing that I do, is like <laughs> notice how other people are. And I just saw this girl who was mesmerized by us. And when I, we, Les and I were in the hot tub and I was watching you walk from the pool and she was just captured by you mm. coming out of the pool. And I was like, this is so fascinating because she's watching a person embody herself, not her, not her 
her idea of herself as she should be with her stomach sucked in and her ass held tight or whatever the hell you might do, which I did for years and years. I used to back up out of the pool when I was a kid because I was so self-conscious about my ass and I would turn and like sidle myself out into the change room because I didn't want anyone to look at me on the way out. Like that, that was what I was living. Like, yeah, you know? Um, so yeah. So for me, it was a very liberating experience. And Mm -hmm. then to, to see that we actually had an effect on a young girl, uh, a young woman who, who is probably navigating 10 times the version of my story in her own self, you know, it's like, Oh, this is like you said, this is how we change the culture. It's not about attacking the system and standing there with my, with my billboard sign protesting. Although there's nothing wrong with that. that Yeah. (laughs) But you know, we vote with our beliefs. We vote with our with the way that we allow narratives to Im, um, infiltrate us and run our lives, mm-hmm. and we vote with our example. Yeah, and I think that is something that that if we want to take our power back, <laughs> that's a huge way to do it. Is to just really own our example and and live from this place of of um, making it less important what we yeah. look like. Yeah. I just, that, that's what I just keep coming back to is like, this can't be the most important thing in my life. Cause it is such a waste of my life. And I just, I have no interest in entertaining it anymore and I'm not immune to it. I it's a daily thing I have to work on. Like, and you know, one of the things I've really noticed over the last few years, it's really fascinating to me. It's like, I'm more comfortable in my body now than I've ever been. And I don't ever actually feel it's a problem. And so I live in this paradox, which is just, it's like, I have split personalities. It's the weirdest thing because I'll go about my day and I'll, I'll feel good. I'm like, I'm good. Like I'm good with who I am. I am living my life's work. Like I'm really happy and content. I have amazing friends. I have a great partner. Like my kids are killing it. Like all the things are great. And then I'll see something external about myself, like a picture or Um, I'll catch a glimpse in the mirror or something and I'll be like, oh God, like then that narrative comes back and I'm like, whoa, like how can those two things be competing in my body all the time? And so now I'm more inclined to lean to the, oh yeah, that's actually not, that's not, that's not what is, you know, that's the conditioning. That's the last of the veils that have to come down. Mm -hmm. So I will just name it. It's like, that's not real. That is just all the toxic shit. And I just, I do, I call it, it's just another veil that I haven't, I haven't fully pulled down yet. And then I'll just drop it and I'll get on with my day, you know, and I might have to do that 400 times a day. I might have to, depending on the day. And, you know, I, one of the things I was talking to a friend about what, you know, she's going through this thing too. And perimenopause is a real thing that's coming up for a lot of women in my group. And they're like, oh my God, my body is like, what the hell? And I'm going through this as well. I'm like, what's happening? (laughs) I haven't really done anything different, but things are really different. Um, And then I'm like, well, here's another rabbit hole for me because now perimenopause ads are everywhere for me. And here, take this supplement and spend $700 on this and join this chat group. And I'm like, fuck that. Like, this is just diet culture in a different direction. Like I am not participating. Mm -hmm. And yeah, maybe I might need some support from my doctors or my naturopaths. And I'm good with that but I am not coming at it from a place of there's something fundamentally wrong with me that needs to be fixed in my physicality. I am not doing that. 
if hormonally I don't feel good, that's a different story. But this is, I can just see this. I'm like, oh my God, if I hang on to this, I will go for another ride for what this can last 10 years. <laughs> and then I'll be in my fifties and going, uh, you know, and I'm unwinding another monster. Like I'm not doing it. <laughs> so this is, I think that's another part of this conversation for our, you know, our age group and our demographic that is really relevant. And, um, yeah, I just, I just, I don't want to have any part of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, for me in that same vein is this question of who do I want to spend my time with? Mm-hmm. Because that is a really important, um, part of my growth and healing right now is really looking at like, what are the relationships that really truly matter and nourish me and, and allow me to, to continue to align with why I'm here. Yeah. Who I want to be in the world. And I don't want to be liked by people who only appreciate me for my physical. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, right. Like I actually don't want that. And so it's so fascinating because I was talking to you last week about some struggles I was having around this event that I'm going to at Christmas time. It was like this police ball thing and mm-hmm. I have to get a gown. And in the last two months, I've had a really bad flare up with my health. And so I have not been able to really exercise as much and my body has changed a lot. And so I just could feel this whirlpool start of me going down the rabbit hole of like, well, this is what you're going to need to do. This is the diet you're going to need to go on. This is the exercise you're going to need to do. And then you're going to have to find the dress that can like, make sure you look just right. Like, oh, I could just, it was all the wheels started turning. And I was like, who is this having this conversation? Like I was able to catch it. Yeah. And I had to say it out loud to you because I had to own that I was actually going there enough yeah. because it was like you said it was very kind of subversive almost back behind my brain like operating without me really consenting to have that conversation <laughs> with myself <laughs> because I was thinking about it and worrying about like well, what will people think and you know people I have a I have a reputation to maintain as Ari's wife or you know well, all yeah. kinds Oh god, of yeah. Yeah, it was just crazy, crazy stories. And it was like ping ponging everywhere. And as soon as I outed it and said it out loud, it was like, okay, it's outside of my being now. I can now Mm -hmm. look at it objectively and recognize that so much of that is actually not mine at all. Mm -hmm. Most of it isn't. Mm -hmm. And I now get to choose how much of that is going to influence what I do with my time and energy and, you know, how, what I'm going to eat today and, you know, how much exercising I'm going to do and, And really what I came to is I'm not actually going to think about that at all, which is my most favorite tool with this particular topic is just, I call it the stop and drop. (laughs) Yeah. When I am able to catch it and thank God for our friendship and these real women that we have in our lives where we can own this stuff when it shows up and say like, okay, I'm having these thoughts right now. And I know these are not mine. I don't want to go down this road. I can stop and actually out myself. I can write it down. I can journal about it or even just talk to myself or talk to you or, you know, get it out of my body, get it out of my mind. And then once it's out there, then I can make some choices. Am I just going to drop this? Cause is this actually the way I want to live my belief structure and my value system? Do I want to reinforce these values that me fitting into this dress that looks a certain way is going to be the thing that makes my life great? <laughs> You know, or I do know. (laughs) Yeah, right. Because this is the crazy shit that goes through my head. And and it's like, I know that it's not going to make my life great. I know it's not going to make a damn bit of difference to anything. In fact, if I don't feel comfortable in what I wear, 
I'm going to have a horrible time and I'm going to be anxious and I'm not going to enjoy myself and I won't connect with anyone and I'll come home and I'll have a whole shame spiral about that whole experience. It's so toxic. And so I stop and then I out it and then I drop the whole damn thing. And it's like, I'm not engaging in that, not engaging in that, you know? And then I talked to you about it and I was like, okay, I'm going to go out and I'm going to find something to wear that I love that I love to wear, that I feel good in and not, not based on what it looks like, based on how I feel in it. Yes. Because that's, what's going to make me have a su- successful experience at the ball. Right. It's yeah. Like, Oh my gosh. But it's, it's the amount of energy that it has taken me to get to a place where I can stop it and then yeah. drop it has, it's been a lot. It's been a lot. And I've had to un- unpack a lot of really ugly truths that I have felt about myself and about women and and beauty culture in general. And, you know, there is a ton of rage inside of me about that because I, as someone who has strived my whole life to identify as a skinny girl, or as you referenced last week, when we were chatting about a skinny bitch, there is an actual book called skinny bitch about veganism that I read in my twenties and was obsessed with and tried to follow it. Just crazy town. Right. And it's, it's really challenging to be an angry woman in side of the narrative of your body image because it's already hard to be an angry woman in general because it's there's a whole bunch of stereotypes about that that's a different podcast a different podcast for sure yeah but i do i really want to talk about this the the paradox that is there is this idea of a bigger bodied woman holding rage or holding fury or anger and then there is this idea of the caged woman. I can think of just this, the, like the skinny little rib cage that you just can't even breathe. And mm-hmm. inside of that little cage is the skinniness, the smallness, the repressed feelings. There's no room for anything. It's just too fucking small. Yep. And, you know, I look at someone like Lizzo, just to throw out an example that I know everybody will know. People are triggered by her. Oh, yeah. Not, not because she's a big body because she gives no fucks and she is mad about it. And she's going to tell you when she's mad about it. And she has an expression of it that is embodied. Yep. And we're making that a health issue in obese, in obesity culture and BM, all the body mass index, all of that ridiculousness. We are pathologizing it. And the truth of the matter is, is those are not the same thing. They are not. Yeah. 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 I'd love to hear your, your thoughts. I think, well, it's it, because it's in your face. It goes against everything that patriarchy is working to do. It's like, you know, when I think about the, the systems that we have to operate in as women, it's like, just be small. We used to fucking wear girdles. Like we used to get laced up. You can't express yourself from that place because you can't even breathe in that place. And so, like you said, like this caging of the woman and when a woman it's like um, cuts the strings of the girdle, so to speak, and lets herself spill out over the top of her pants. And you can't handle that. You need to go home and do your work. And that goes for women and men both. Because I, this is a hard thing to say, but I have had to reconcile with these ideas of like, what do I actually feel and think about bigger bodies? Aside from my own, what does that ping in me? And then do I actually feel that? Or is that a story that's been handed to me about, oh, that's unhealthy or, 
it's gross or it's, you know, whatever we insert any, any storyline around it. And that's my own internalized misogyny that I have to look at. It's part of this picture and it's a hard thing to look at. It's, I feel, you know, slightly ashamed when I, when I have those feelings and also willing to, to look at it and say, you know, like I do, I've had these feelings before about this and, but I also, there's something about it that I desire so deeply when I see a woman just taking up space and, and just not apologizing for it anymore. And then also, like you said, expressing that it's bullshit and, and it's none of your damn business, frankly, it's none of your damn business, what body I live in and, or what body Lizzo lives in. Like, yeah, I, I don't know if that answered your question. Oh, yeah, no, you're taking us deeper into the deeper down the rabbit hole of this particular part of this conversation, which I totally agree. It's, it's nobody's business. And that's what we get to grapple with here is the truth is, is for us to recognize that we're being controlled, that the body image narrative that has been imposed upon us for centuries Mm -hmm. is controlling. It's about control and it's about smallness and it's about being docile and it's about not having a a voice to make an impact. It's not about having a body that's big enough to make an impact. It's about being quiet. Yep. 100%. And, you know, so this is where it does lace into patriarchy and this idea that women are being oppressed in today's culture by beauty standards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I do think that the paradox between rage that comes through a big expression juxtaposed with uh, kind of an internalized self-loathing that I also see as rage, but it's turned on self instead of yeah. expressed outward is is what I see as like the cage of skinny, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, the cage of thinness. And this is not an attack on people who are thin bodied or not, or big bodied. This is, this is just a interesting comparative that has kind of let women get against women for a long time. Right. So there's, there's a lot of uh, prejudice that, that big women have towards skinny women. If you want to call it that little smaller, smaller bodies versus bigger bodies. Right. And, and bigger bodies versus smaller bodies. There is so much animosity that has been brewed there by design. Totally. When fighting each other, we, we're not going to go out and do any of the work to dismantle this shit. We're just going to take each other down. It's like the witch burning all over again. Right. It, it's just another level of that. It is. But what I find so fascinating about it is that it's the exact same thing. It's just on the opposite ends of the spectrum. So yes. that external rage, I mean, it's people argue that this is a health issue. Obesity, it's a health issue. Well, maybe that is, maybe it isn't. We're not talking about that in this podcast, <laughs> but what is healthy is expressing your emotions. And if you have rage and getting it out of your system is very healthy, in my opinion. If you want to go to the other end of the spectrum and you're not expressing anything, but you have loathing and you put that loathing on a bigger body because you don't know how to feel your own, that's Mm -hmm. on you. That's on you. And it will make you sick on some level. Mm -hmm. And if at the very least, it'll make you a sour bitch. It'll make you mean. (laughs) And I don't want to live like that. I have no interest in that. And you know, I'm going to share something really personal, but I remember being at the beach. Oh, oh, this was many years ago. And my mom was there 
And I was in a bikini and I was playing with my nieces and there was bikinis everywhere and all kinds of bodies everywhere. It was the middle of summer in Ontario. And I went and I was playing with my nieces off to the side and my mom made a comment about this woman who was wearing a bikini and she it was like a thong bikini or something. And my mom made this comment about who does she think she is to be wearing something like that? And I could not handle that comment. I was livid on behalf of this other woman. I was livid at the conditioning of my poor mom and what she has lived with her whole life, that she would think that that was okay to say and feel and all the things. And so I stood up and the comment that came out of her mouth after that was if she had a body like Lindsay, it would be appropriate or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't, I just, I grabbed my niece, ran into the water and played with her until we went home and I didn't come back out again because again, it was the same feeling of what happened in that earlier example of my friend complimenting me and watching my other friend shrink. All that I got from that was a feeling of shame. Yeah. It was shame for my body in general, and it didn't do anything good for anyone. And, you know, but I could feel this anger that was living beneath the surface of my mom's comment because my mom had her own internalized misogyny, as you mentioned it, and her own internalized hatred for the the female body because of how she was raised and because of what happened to her in her life and all of those things. Yeah. And it was just so potent to experience that and feel like the level of animosity that we have towards each other as women because of the way these standards have been put on us. Yeah. 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 Yeah, It's, it's heartbreaking. It's just such a waste of our life. And it's, it feels, sometimes it feels so convoluted and so, um, I don't know, like binding in some way that it's like, I don't even know how to, am I ever going to stop thinking about that? I think I've said that to you before. It's like, am I ever going to get to a place where this just doesn't take up any space anymore. And I don't know if the answer is yes. I want to believe that deeply. But I think what happens when we start to really look at this, of like, what is this actually? This is about control. This has nothing to do with your body. It doesn't matter what you look like. You will never feel okay about it if these systems continue to dictate how you move through the world. Mm -hmm. That's just, that is just a fact. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And all of us can do, can, ha- can look back through our lives. Like when I was a size four, yeah, I felt a little bit better because my pants hung off my hips a little bit, but I didn't feel good about myself then until I was like, oh, now I'm a size 10. I was like, oh, I'd give anything to be back there. But it's not about that because I didn't feel any different. Mm-hmm. I just was chasing these, these, I was chasing my own bloody tail really like and that is by design and so when you start to really look at the these these ideas and recognize that this is about women being controlled and being distracted and being you know smushed um, we love the word smushed around Ooh, here yes <laughs> then I can get a little bit of my fire back you know and then I can tap into the like hey you know Lynn's like like when you're talking about the policeman's ball you know and I told you, I outed in real time. I'm like, you know what went through my head when you just told me that story? It's like, holy fuck, if Lindsay's thinking that, what the hell would I, like, what the hell, right? Because it's, I go right into the comparison in that moment, but I caught it. But that is, that's where we have to start kind of doing the work. It's like catching it in real time and outing it. So you got to find people that you can do this with and, yeah. and start to really 
look at this and not make it about you or a problem with you. This is not your fault, period. Yeah. And <laughs> you have to look at it if you don't want it to run your life. So, you know, like I just, I think when you start to, when hopefully this conversation will start to give people some ideas of like where to look and to, to take this out from outside the, the, or take it from the internal to look at like, what's actually, what is, is this true for me? Is this even true for me? Like asking yourself that question. Yeah. I think, um, well, I want to stay on the control piece for a second because yeah. I think that what I can imagine people are asking is like, well, how, how do I take control of this? Like it's, it just runs everything and I'm not even aware that it's running it. Well, the emotional doorway is you're in. So, you know, we've been talking about rage and then on the opposite end of that, we've been talking about shame. And so some dumbed down versions of that, or some numbed out versions of that is a more <laughs> appropriate way to say it is like, you might feel triggered or aggravated or annoyed or frustrated or judgmental um, of someone else's body or a narrative someone else has, or maybe even us in this conversation, you might be agitated by what we're saying. That is a good indicator that you're on the trajectory of fury or rage, <laughs> right? And then you have the flip side of that where you've got shame as we were, we've been talking about on and off through some examples we've provided, like shame is it's, there's guilt there. There's self-loathing there. There's self-harm there. Uh, there's hiding, not talking about it, avoiding it, starving ourselves. All, like all of that paradigm that most of us have lived on some level is the shame spiral. And one thing that you said when we talked about this originally is like the only way to get to the to the shame or sorry, okay. the only way to get to the rage is to expose the shame, I think is, is yeah. what you said. Yeah. Yeah. So, right. Because the only antidote to shame we know is to speak about it, to ha to find empathy for it. Right. Yeah. So the only way to find empathy for it is to put it on the table, tell That'd someone. Be witnessed. Yeah. Yeah. Be witnessed. And then it can transform into what it actually needs to be. And then as we do that, we start to move towards actually feeling what we really feel about things, which <laughs> is maybe some anger or, and, or other feelings. And, you know, I'm not saying you have to feel these feelings. That's mm -hmm. not the way you take control, but if you can start to look at that question, is this true for me? Yeah. And then notice what the feelings are that come with the answer. This is a first step to mm -hmm. taking some control back, I think. Yeah. And allowing the feeling, because this is a part of our, this is part of our uncaging, right? As women, it is okay to be pissed off. It's actually a hundred percent appropriate to be pissed off about things whatever it is, whether it's the body image or what somebody said to you or how your day is going, like rage and anger are appropriate emotions. <laughs> and women have not really been allowed to feel those emotions without some kind of story attached to them. And now we're angry bitches and whatever, burning our bras, whatever it is, right? There's, it's never just an appropriate expression of how we're feeling. Yeah. It doesn't have to be anything more than that. And so letting yourself feel whatever is there and not try to put it in a box mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah. the rage, the rage is like, I've gotten way better at, at expressing anger because I used to repress it like mm -hmm. all good, nice girls. And now I can move, I can move anger through me very quickly. I can just, but I had to practice that because otherwise it comes out inappropriately. And so there's a learning curve to this, but what it allowed for was me to start 
letting go of, of the attachment to, to the controlling narratives around me. It's like, I'm actually allowed to feel this. And if you don't like it, you can go over there. Like, I'm not going to apologize. I, this happened with Brent and I on the couch one night when we we're watching hell's kitchen or something and the intro and the girl. So it's a cooking show for those of you who don't know. And the woman in the intro was shown putting on blush. It's a fucking cooking show. I like, I went, I went off the rails and Brent's like, he just gets kind of quiet. <laughs> he stares at the TV, but like, and then I just expressed to him, I'm like, that's, that's not okay. Like I, <laughs> and I'm going to outlet that. So if you want to be in my life, I'm going to outlet some shit here and there. I'm not going to make it his problem or his fault, but I'm going to express it because it's, it was ridiculous. Let's just say that it's fucking ridiculous. Yeah. It, it would be the same as if we watched a man shave his face. Like it just was so irrelevant. It just had nothing to do with what they were doing. And it just objectified her. Right. And so I could express that and drop it and watch the rest of the show and everything was fine. But if I had repressed that and held that in, it's going to cause me harm. It's going to, and it's not going to help me um, um, heal my own wounds yeah. because it will just feed it. It will continue to feed those wounds. I will internalize it you know, or I may, maybe I wouldn't even think twice about it. Maybe 10 years ago, I wouldn't even notice that that was a problem. Right. So I think that's just another thing that we get to practice and that gives us more power back in our own lives and more autonomy is like not making our, our feelings wrong. Yeah. And you know, it is a rebellious thing to <laughs> say something that challenges the status quo and these beauty standards. Oh God, don't be fooled. They are status quo. <laughs> for the majority of North Americans. And we are so conditioned in the, even in the health industry around what is a healthy way to look and an unhealthy way to look. And that's all by design too. There's not a ton of facts to back a lot of that stuff up still, but there's a lot of narratives that back it up. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I agree. I think that having the courage to say what you feel in when those things come up. And I, I think the first step before you say it is to actually notice that there's something that's not quite right. Like you know, when I walked past the billboards that day at Victoria's <laughs> Secret, like I didn't know I was going to have that response. And then it just mm-hmm. showed up and I was like, okay, I have a choice here. Am I just going to shove that back down and not say anything for the sake of not feeling like a psychopath on the sidewalk screaming about the ad? Or am I going to take the opportunity to just be real with my feelings and tell these two beautiful people with me how I feel about it? And so I just did. And it it opened up a doorway. And every time Mm -hmm. I do that, I get a little more courage and a little more rebelliousness like gets into my bloodstream. And it's like, (laughs) all right, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this, you know? And when the the Sports Illustrated ad came out this year for um, the cover and they put a bigger body person woman on the front of the magazine. I mean, this is where this began for James and I talking about this because we had a very confused response to seeing that picture. And like James was talking about earlier, like this weird feeling of repulsion in the initial looking at the photo where I'm looking at it feeling like, I don't know if that's quite right or whatever. And then I'm sort of thinking, well, where the hell is that coming from? That is that is that really what I believe? Or did someone tell me I should think that this woman's probably not healthy? Like yeah. it just started this whole spiral of really looking at, well, what is that actually about? And I mean, there's so much wrong with the fact that they're th- that this whole Sports Illustrated thing has become a whole storyline because 
they're still objectifying women in Sports <laughs> Illustrated. Like, it has nothing not, to do with sports. <laughs> it has nothing to do with sports. And it has nothing to do with women's empowerment. It's still a sex object magazine. That is what yeah. it's for, right? Yeah. But maybe a way in is to really look at your reaction to that picture yeah. and how, what it makes you feel inside and what you associate it to and you know how you might talk about it. Uh, mm-hmm. as a way to really kind of even discover what your feelings might be uh, mm-hmm. about bodies and body. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it is, it's, it's a powerful practice. It is, it's yeah. a really far extreme for me to, to go into those, to look at that stuff. Like it feels risky to talk about it. It feels risky to, um, it, it just feels so hard. It's, I just find it so hard and I had a similar experience when I saw that um, 3000 miles movie. What was it called? 3000 years of lo- something. I don't know. It was a movie that recently came out and they had like a concubine of these women and they were mat- like very, very big bodied women, like, and they were all nude and right. in this like cave. And I was like, Oh, what is happening? Like it was so in your face of like, First of all, I've never seen anything like that in the movie before. I mean, maybe I'm not going to those movies. I don't know where you would see that, but like, it really was like, it felt really rebellious that that scene in the movie where I was like, oh, they are, they're, you know, they're just telling this story of it's, it's a mythology movie. So it's rooted in mythology, but the, to feel my own visceral reaction and like, wow, this is like, it pinged so many things in me. And I had to do the same thing. Like you said, it's like, well, do I have a problem with this? Like, why is this so activating in my body? And it's like, oh yeah, because since you could walk and talk, <laughs> you have been told that this is not okay mm-hmm. on all levels, on and in every, every aspect. And that is part of our own work that we can do is like to ask yourself, like, and to just, you know, feel the feeling that whatever it was and not make it wrong but look at it and ask yourself the hard questions so that you can pull these things apart so that we can challenge the systems through our own way of being and not having to go after these structures and take down the movie industry or whatever it is. Right. It's like, do your own work and look at your relationship with, with these triggers that happen and start getting, telling the truth about it. It's not easy, but it does it empowered me in some way when we had those conversations about the concubine and when we had the, the conversation um, about the sports illustrated cover and Jordan Peterson's comments about it. And like, when we, when we really start to look at those things um, I just feel like I can get my legs under me a little bit better with it all. And, and there's a level of self-acceptance for myself that comes from those conversations where it's like, Oh yeah, this isn't my fault. This, this is like, this is so crazy what we're trying to navigate with this. And I'll talk about it for a little bit, but then I'm going to go over here and do my life, Yeah, you know, and to call, to call it out when we see it. And sometimes we have to do that with our partners and we have to do that with our friends and our family. And that's also risky and rebellious and necessary. Totally. Totally. But I don't think we can do that until we start calling it out for ourselves, which is, you know, that's the big, that's the biggest leap that I've had to come to is recognizing that I was even, that that was even happening. Yeah. And then when then once I saw that, now there's no going back. Now no. it's like, oh geez, this in my face. I see it everywhere, every single day. And I've thought about it 20 times today too. 
And so much of those times that I've thought about it is not because I'm having self-loathing thoughts, but that I'm annoyed at an ad <laughs> that's come up on my Instagram showing some <laughs> girl with her, you know, shaving her vagina, wearing a G-string and uh, putting fake tanner on and, and trying to sell me some sort of new age razor. Like, I don't want to see that. Like, I no, thank you. That is, this it's not, does not apply to me. And <laughs> just stop. Right. So that is, but I never would have, it just, I would have scrolled right past it. Totally. And yeah. I would have been like, oh, whatever. You know, it's, it's fascinating because so much of what I have experienced on the internet in the last couple of years has been an evolution of my noticing this too, because mm. as a coach, you know, so much of what people are putting out there as their content in the coaching industry is reinforcing these standards. Yeah. And they feel that they're not because they're, they're not seeing it or they're not looking at it. But you know, posting just how um, wealthy everything is in my life and how beautiful I am as a result of my wealth. It's just, it's all kind of still siphoning into the same narrative. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just couldn't do it. It like, it literally jarred my system when I would try to do posts like that. And I did, I did it for like a whole year. I really tried. I was like, this is just not me. Like, I feel like I am, I'm just, I'm perpetuating something I don't believe in is what it felt like. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So what are some of the things that have helped you? Well, I wrote down a few notes as we've been talking here, just of what we've done to kind of move ourselves forward. And I think the one thing you said was job one is, is waking up to this. So I Mm -hmm. think, you know, being willing to have a hard conversation such as we are having right now has been hugely helpful for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Being with safe women who are open to being honest about what they're feeling about certain things Mm -hmm. in in this subject matter, you know, and talking about it. um, That was, that's a huge help for me. Just, Mm -hmm. just to be able to talk about it from a non-judgmental place of knowing that we all are struggling with the same stuff even though we're in completely different bodies yeah uh, and have a different lens on it yeah um, absolutely. yeah that's really that's a really big one and then as having the as I'm having those conversations I've been able to then catch myself mm. kind of noticing that there's a narrative there and then being able to say oh is that true like is that <laughs> actually true <laughs> you know mm-hmm. and then and sometimes the answer has been yep it's true. You do think that your thighs are never going to be good enough, or you do think that you're never going to look the way that you should, or, you know, X, Y, Z storyline, because I actually have internalized that into my structure, into my psychological structure. And so there is some uncoupling that I've had to do psychologically there. And some people need therapy for that. Some people just need to talk to their friends. I've had to do a lot of internal conversation with myself. Uh, that happens to be a way that I process quite a lot. I've written some poetry, I've written some, just some journal stuff about it just to kind of get it out of my insides Mm -hmm. so that then I can look at it objectively and, and then notice what my feelings are because when it's all in there, I don't feel the feelings. I just hear the story. Totally. Yeah. So yeah, that's been really, really helpful for me. And, um, you know, for me in particular, giving myself permission to be mad has been monumental. 
I would say. Like that's probably been the most pivotal shift for me is being able to see the stories and then separate the story from my my being enough that I can feel the, the fury that's there around what my mother and my mother's mother and all the women in my ancestry had to go through the binding way that they had to live their life and just just the smallness that they became as a result like that brings a lot of anger forward for me and and I never let myself have any of that for mm. most of my life and and if I did it was very frowned upon and I was persecuted for it so you know that has been I think a really powerful forward marker for me and just not judging my own anger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then it's just allowed me to express more and more. Um, getting older is helpful. <laughs> you know, it just, it's created more tolerance, um, for myself. And, and inside of that, a lot of practices around self-love, like really learning what that actually means. Cause I thought I knew what it was and <laughs> I really didn't, um, you know, going for a run until I could, my heart rate was over 200 is not exactly self-care. And that's what I used to do in my twenties thinking I was taking real good care of myself, you know? <laughs> um, so learning about that stuff and then beginning to actually shift into some new ways of being, um, as a thanks to my illness, like my health stuff has really forced me into some of those things, which is a yeah. gift, but it hasn't been, it hasn't been easy. It's been very hard and painful. Yeah. Um, but it's led me to this place of being able to stop and then recognize what's happening and then drop the damn story and really focus on something more important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, I've got some pretty similar strategies. Um, the uncoupling is so interesting when you're talking about the uncoupling, like I think of it as like this host and, um, <laughs> like a parasite <laughs> and, you know, the, the feeling that paradox that I talked about earlier of like, how can I be having these two completely different things? I think that's the uncoupling. It's like, I pictured of like pulling the parasite off my face, <laughs> like this thing. That's like not me. And that has been really helpful to, to acknowledge the, that's actually not how I feel. That's actually not what I was feeling before this thought came in. And like, like you said, like, it's the awareness part of it, right. Of like, just really checking in with that. Whereas before I would just live in the swirl of not enough, not enough, not enough. And I would just keep perpetuating that story by feeding it and going on crash diets and exercising to, you know, like, Oh, I can go and do that. As long as I run for 5k, like that's where I lived as an athlete as well in high school and college. And that, that has been a huge thing to be able to separate those pieces now and like see them objectively rather than just being living through the narrative of, as that running the show. Mm -hmm. Um, another thing that's been really helpful for me, I, you know, I used to think to myself, <laughs> if somebody had just told me <laughs> that I came from Vikings and Viking women are not small humans they had a job to do. They had to be rugged. They had to be sturdy. So when I started my priestess work and I started to really like look at where I came from, God, that changed so much for me. I had such um, a pride of my structure from that. And that was massive for me. I think that was probably the biggest piece because it, it just made what I had been given 
a place that I needed to honor because of where I came from. And just knowing that, um, I, I don't know, it just changed everything for me. And I, the strength that I have in my structure because of that, of my ancestors and what I can do physically, which a lot of people can't do the stamina I have, um, those, I, I start to celebrate those in a different way. And it makes me feel connected to something that's less self-involved, <laughs> like it's less narcissistic, which like, let's just call it the truth here. The truth is that when we spin out on all of this, this shit about our looks and our lipstick and our eyelashes, and like, it's so self-involved and it's so narcissistic. And, and again, it's not our fault, but we have to, we have to start to really call that out. And like, I don't want to live like that. I have, I have zero interest, but I do <laughs> want to know what it's like to be, uh, to, to, you know, now I want to do a pilgrimage to, to Denmark and know where my family came from and understand, like I, it just changed so much for me that way that it just made it so less about being thin for me. And I'm like, I'm never going to be thin. Like, I'm never going to be skinny. You're never going to see my bones sticking out of my body unless I'm really sick. It's just not who I am and it's not where I come from. And I don't want to dishonor my ancestors and my family and my grandfather who came here when he was 17 with nothing, no English, you know, like it's such a dishonoring to me, to my ancestors. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that was the biggest piece for me um, in the last few years of really accepting where I come from. And yeah, it just gave me a different purpose, a different direction, like a full, a different door to go in, I guess. Mm. And the conversations that we have, like building a trusting circle. Um, I teach a lot of women over 40 (laughs) in my yoga classes and they are my teachers. Like they're just, I just don't see their bodies. They talk openly about it, but I just see the beautiful, amazing humans that they are. And so I just want to continue to do that and just not give it any weight anymore. (laughs) Pardon the pun, but I just like... (laughs) I really just want to see the being in front of me and I want to connect to the being in front of me. So I'm just going to continue to do that because it does make it less important, Mm -hmm. you know, and it, it does give us a sense of belonging. And I feel it with those women when we get together and there's also space for them to say, you know, I feel like this, or I don't feel good enough, or I don't feel thin enough, or that's there too. Um, But we also can bend over laughing for 20 minutes in our classes. Like, there's just so much more. And so I just continue to focus on the real joyful aspects of my life um, without bypassing, <laughs> you know, that's a fine balance, but I think those have been the most helpful. Yeah. I think, I think those are the big, big ones for me. Yeah. That's amazing. I love your share about the, your Denmark roots, your Viking roots and the, the, the tie back to your ancestry and how it's, you can reframe it as a, as an honoring in, you know, that you're not disregarding your history anymore <laughs> um, by rejecting yourself. And mm-hmm. I think that's so powerful. And it reminded me of how much I use Ayurveda in my life to understand how we are, why we are. And that doesn't, separate from the body. So, you know, in Ayurveda, we have these, these ideal sort of this constitutional archetypes that, you know, we all fit into in certain ways and we're born with one and we're, it changes and ebbs and flows as we go through life. But we're always, we always have that sort of primary constitution that is who we are. And 
that's brought me a lot of peace uh, Mm -hmm. as someone who, you know, was always trying to get away from that, like, you know, (laughs) wanting to have long, voluptuous, curly hair, for example, if you know me, you know, I've been obsessed with that for pretty much ever. And if you don't know me, well, I now have a half shaved head and a little curly bob on the other side, because this girl ain't ever going to have long, curly, voluptuous hair. It's not in my constitution. It's just not in my genes. It's not in my Ayurvedic makeup. And, you know, there's a, a really healthy way of looking at that, at all bodies as their natural way of being when you can have these understandings constitutionally. And yeah, it's an intellectual practice, but for me, it's actually become a lived experience of receiving someone's constitution. I also don't see the body as the primary descriptor of who the person is. It's what they express through that body and through their words and their voice and their intonation and, you know, the sparkle in their eye. Like it's so much more than that physicality. Um, So that is also something that's really helped me now that I like I heard you say that it just brought that back around. Oh yeah, that's actually been really powerful for me. You know, you teasing me about my long giraffe neck that waves in the breeze and you think it's going to snap if you put your brakes on too hard in the car. (laughs) Like, you know, these are these are things that I've been so subconscious about my whole life. And now I can just celebrate it. It's like, yeah, Yeah. it's like I got a real long spine. Like that's just me. You know, um, and then the other thing that I was thinking of when I was listening to you, that's, I don't know how I didn't think of it, but it has been absolutely life-changing for me is dance. Oh, I dance too. Yeah. Like, I thought I, about it when you were talking and I was like, don't forget. Yeah, good. Wait, well, we got it. We got it. Between the two of us, we always get there in the end. Um, so, you know, I attend a weekly event called Dance Temple that has been monumentally life-changing for me on so many levels, but most powerfully, it has helped me accept my physical space, the the physical space that I live inside of every day and how that expresses itself in the world, in the company of other people. And one of the things that I love about Dance Temple in particular is that it's nonverbal. So you're in the space and yes, you're dancing with each other ish, but you are all up in your own business the entire time. And I have to work through a ton of comparative monologues while I'm there because there's lots of quote, beautiful people all flitzing around and scantily clad dress gear or whatever. And it gives me this never ending opportunity to really look at it and look at it and spin around on it. And some days are rough and I go home and I'm like, Oh God, that was a bad one. You know, like it was dark in there. And I had to, I had to excavate a lot of thoughts, feelings, and narratives that I started to have like the, you know, about people even in the room. It's like, I've never even talked to this person, but I have a whole life made up for them because of how they look. It's like, wow, you know, that has taught me so much, but what it's really helped me come, come around to is this, this belonging to myself, no matter how I show up to that dance, um, with how I look that I get to be inside of this body every single time, no matter what shape it is or what shape it's in, um, and Amen. that has just, it's been so powerful for me as a healing mechanism. Yeah. The, I mean, both of the things that you just spoke to are both gifts that you've given me. Um, Ayurveda, you gave me the gift of, I mean, we learned this in our training, but you really gave me the gift of understanding the beauty of Kapha, 
Nobody wanted to be kapha. Like every Ayurvedic thing I've gone to, the facilitators like get you to fill out the thing and everybody's pitta and vata. And he's like, I know you don't want to be kapha because you think it's fat. <laughs> but, and then you really helped me. And I was the same. I didn't want to be kapha. And then you really helped me like see the beauty of kapha. And I see that now in the world. And that was a massive gift because I do, I do recognize that that part of my constitution is a really beautiful part of me. And it's not just about my physicality. It's about all the things that come with that. So I'm always grateful for that. And I always give you the accolades for helping me get to that because it was a massive gift for me to, to really settle into myself again. And the dance temple, like I have a very different experience with dance temple because remember you dragged me, I was hung over as hell because Lindsay and I don't really drink. But sometimes when we see each other on her 40th birthday, was that your 40th birthday weekend? Yeah. yeah. So we, I surprised her. So we really obviously had to drink all the wine that we could find. Mm-hmm. And she's like, we're going to dance temple in the morning. I'm like, shit, <laughs> I did not want to go. I just like, I'm too practical in some ways. And I was like, oh, this is just going to be so awkward and uncomfortable. And like, I had a whole thing about it. I was bitching until the minute we like got there. I just like, I had a stink on. I was such a brat. <laughs> Uh, yes you did and it didn't matter she's like yep that's great you're still coming (laughs) it's my birthday my room yeah and then I literally I think I was in the room for what like eight seconds and I was like boom like I just I felt myself land I'm like oh these are my people oh this is earth like I just could feel I could feel divinity and the goddess and Gaia, I could feel everything in like the pulse of the music. And I was like, oh yeah, this, this is where I belong. Like, and I just felt myself the whole way. I had no self-conscious. I wasn't analyzing myself. I wasn't looking at anybody. Like it was just such, it's just a primal experience for me. And I still do it at home weekly. Like I make the room dark. I put on the crazy music because you get to, maybe we'll share their thing in our link because you can listen to dance temples online. Mm-hmm. You can make a little donation to them. Um, but it is, God, it's so therapeutic for me. Mm -hmm. So therapeutic. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I remember, I remember watching you drop in at dance temple and you closed your eyes and you went into the very middle of the room (laughs) and move like you danced, but you danced in this very rooted, you were like a tree just blowing in the breeze and you stayed there for 90 minutes while we flitted around like freaks because it was my birthday and we were all hung over and just in an amazing joyful spazzy mood and we were all rubbing asses and doing all of whatever and you were just in the middle in this like complete zen state and I was smiling on the inside like I was so chuffed with myself because I'm like I knew she would be like this if we just got her in the door and it was such a joy to watch you embody the totality of your beingness in that room with all of those people there and with no narrative like I could feel the emptiness in your mind and I I just I admire that so much and I mean and I've had those experiences too but I mean it's taken me a long time I've been going to dance temple for a decade so you know it's but I and I have experiences like that all the time and I also have experiences where I'm in my shit and that's just being a human and I'm okay with it totally But it's, you mentioned the word divinity, and I think this is a great way to sort of wind us down, is that's also a tool. If you are a spiritual person and you have some access point to what divinity is for you or what feels sacred to you, 
start to recognize that you are that same sacredness, that your body, your bones, your blood, all the tissues that make up this structure that you either love or hate on any given day in any given moment is that. And I, you know, I don't want to go into the floofy of that because it's so, it's really impossible to articulate, but there is a truth there that, you know, we are the same flesh as the earth that we walk on and as each other standing side by side. So we don't judge the size of a tree, you know, we don't, we just, we just look at it in awe yeah. And we take it in and we have reverence for the beauty that it holds just because of what it is. Mm-hmm. So for what that's worth, you know, go out into the forest and recognize that that is you and yeah. and start to see yourself in that mirror a little bit. That has really helped me, particularly with the seasons to ebb and flow. Like my body changes. It's different in the summer than it is in the winter. And that's just a reality now, just like the trees are different in the summer than they are in the winter. And one's not better than the other. They're just ebbing and flowing and that's life. So that's also been a real comfort for me. Totally. Yeah. And you know, the, the divinity that, that even that word is loaded for people, but you, if you can't connect to something that is greater than just your physical body moving through space, there's always going to be something missing and there's a million ways to access that. So it can be through dance. It can be through leaning up against a tree. It can be, you know, there's a million ways go for a swim in the lake, like to, to give yourself permission to, um, to be in relationship with the natural world is one that in my experience and teaching through this is that it is an easy drop in point. So you don't have to make this complicated. You don't have to sign up for a yoga class. You don't have to meditate. You just need to go and be in, you know, absolute reverence for nature and recognizing, like you said, that, that you are part of that. You're not separate from this. We sure love that though. Right. And the separateness and the I-ness is what keeps us in the suffering. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's an easy way. It's a really easy way and you can make it however you want to make it. You can just go sit by the river and watch the water flow by, you know, there is something that will happen to you in those moments. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, it's just an easy door and most people can connect to it. Even Mm -hmm. if you live in the city. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And you know, there's an insignificance that comes (laughs) around. Ari, Ari loves to Carl Sagan, my ass. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Or just a blip in the universe, but it is helpful. It is helpful w- with this particular topic yeah. because like you were saying, it's so self-involved and it does breed its own narcissistic way. It's sort of, it's, it is very parasitic and self-reinforcing when you go down that rabbit hole. So to sort of flip the story to, yeah, we're actually not that big a deal. <laughs> not really that much of anything. When you look at the greater expanse of mother nature and, you know, the stars and beyond Mm -hmm. it it really can give us a bit of humility and I think that is that a healthy dose of that can actually serve us in um starting to dismantle some of these narratives absolutely you know that's one of the things like you said how your body changes with the seasons like that's not allowed where we're supposed to have the same body the whole way through like good luck (laughs) but one of the things that I will tell my people, cause I live in a cold climate. So winter's rough here. If you, if you hate the cold, it's, it's hard. It's a long, hard season. Um, but you know, it, it is important 
to recognize that mother nature can't be wrong. And if we are part of that at any given moment, whatever structure we're living in is correct. It just is like, so you carry a little extra weight. It's cold. <laughs> that helps you stay warm in the winter. Like those and to let yourself flow with those seasons and, and just not give it so much importance. I think it, that helps me a lot too. It just takes the, I don't just don't want to think about it all the time. <laughs> so if I can connect it to nature in some way, then I, I don't know. I just, I find peace in that. I just, I'm just like, oh yeah, that just feels right. Mm-hmm. We'll have pod tack, pod tack. <laughs> no podcast about that one day. <laughs> There's about 18 podcasts. That I think we could stem off of this conversation, but yeah, in a very rich one. Yes. So it's my turn to ask the question. Are you ready? Yes, but I want you to read the poem that you... Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, stand by. So this is an excerpt from a book uh, by Donna Ashworth. Um, I'll put her, maybe I'll put her name in the, in, uh, the podcast question link. <clears throat> Pardon me. So this is an excerpt from her book from I Wish I Knew. The Female Body. The female body was never supposed to be smooth, firm, and flawless. It was designed to create life, to host life, to feed life. Yes, there are many other amazing aspects to us all, and this design in no way defines us. But underpinning our fight to retain a figure is a whole network of genetics, science, and an entire evolutionary process which wants to create, store, and produce fat for protection and hormonal health. So if you're losing a battle for slimness, do not for a moment think this is all your fault. You are trying to blow away the wind. Feed yourself well, physically, mentally, and spiritually, and then enjoy your life with the vessel you inhabit. It's a one-shot only thing. Peace, laughter, and acceptance are the best medicines around. Boom. Yeah. Love it. Can't blow the wind around. (laughs) trying to do it yeah yeah it 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 is it's quite it's quite a good statement and yeah it is like it is like trying to blow the wind like (laughs) so you might as well just I don't know get a shelter and go do something else (laughs) paint a picture or string some beads or sing a song or play a drum like it's just there's just way more important things for us to do yeah like put your energy into that, you know, like let that lead the way and you need the physical body in order to do that. (laughs) And so it's just your vessel, right? It's just, it's just the carrier of your soul. So Mm -hmm. if you start to reframe these things, I don't know, they just have less weight. They have less detriment um, and the narratives and the toxicity around it have less power. It's practice. You have to keep practicing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. A great conversation. Yeah, super cool. I feel like we could talk. I'm like, oh, we should have talked about Venus and goddesses, and like, well, we only have so many hours for another day <laughs> because <laughs> the females that were worshipped a long time ago had different structures than Victoria's yeah. Secret models. Let's just leave it with that. <laughs> okay, so my question for you this week, and so I posted this in our last podcast question. Um, was we don't get practice around this. Lynn has no idea what I'm going to ask her. And so she's on the spot. Um, (laughs) 
And that's what makes this really cool, right? Because it's just, it's real time. It's like, this is how we actually talk. We'll ask each other questions and then we'll just riff. We'll just talk. And so my question to you is if you could go back and talk to your adolescent self, your young woman self, what would you tell her about, (laughs) about her body, like about this topic? Well, I would just, I would just parrot the words of my friend. I would say there's so much more interesting stuff about you than the way you look, my dear. Mm. Don't forget that there's a whole being that lives in you Mm. that is way beyond, way, 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 way beyond the beauty of your physical. And to know that is the greatest beauty you could ever own. So mm-hmm. get to know that, spend time, <laughs> spend time investing in that part of her. Oh yeah. And Amazing. Yeah. The body will take care of itself. That's, that's what I would say. I think. Yeah. That's super powerful. Um, yeah. Uh, could you imagine if somebody had said those words to you? Like, yeah, yeah. It's just, it's incredible. And we are part of this change. That's, that's what always reminds me of it's like, oh yeah, I am changing this. It's not perfect. Cause I'm doing the work in real time here with my girl, but I know it's different. I know it's a little bit different. Oh, and yeah. yeah, that moves me so, so deeply to know that. Mm-hmm. And I think if I went back, I would, <laughs> you know, I would have kind of similar words. It's like, this isn't, there's more to your life than this. And to not make it all about this. And you are worthy of loving, of being loved no matter what. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, that's that's tied up pretty deeply in mm-hmm. this for so many of us, you know. Oh God, yeah. Just to the core. Yeah. It's really to the core. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. It's a beautiful question. <laughs> I was like, that's, it's a big question, but I think it's just so important. Well, what I love about it is I, I can go back and say that to her yep. because that little girl still in there, she's, she's still running her mouth thinking <laughs> she needs to have a say about it. And, and all she wants is to be seen and, and loved. Yep. So yeah, it's like a bomb. It's a soothing bomb to be able to go back and say something like that to yourself, you know, Mm -hmm. no matter how old you are, that's really powerful work. Yeah. Another great tool that we can use. Yeah. And I'm just so looking forward to everyone's uh, share around this. Like, I think, you know, I've been talking to a few women about that. This is coming. This podcast is coming and I can hear the fear in them like okay we're gonna okay we're gonna do this number three okay we're gonna talk about this already yeah i know <laughs> we're, up. we're just going <laughs> yes the anticipation has been real i've, I've also yeah. had that conversation with a few people but what i love about your question is that all the answers that our beautiful community give we we get that gets said to all of us all of so, us right like what you said to your girl and what i said to my girl we get to say to each other's and everyone else's and it's just this beautiful um domino effect of healing that becomes possible what an amazing question (laughs) thank you for that i just thought of that at like 240 nice (laughs) the um 
I'm really looking forward to where this leads us to. And like, if you have more topics and things around this that you want to, you want us to kind of dig into, like leave those in, in the comments on our social media or drop us a text or a note, like however you converse with us is perfect. And yeah, this is not the last visit. (laughs) This is just the initiation. So there are many thresholds in this conversation that need to be crossed, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think it's important to note that we've literally had this conversation four times and tried to record it. And we haven't (laughs) been able to get ourselves to a place where we could record because these are very sensitive topics. And there's a lot of risk in talking about them. And, you know, we have a disclaimer, which is that like, we are not immune to the conditioning (laughs) and the internalization of this misogynistic way and all of the stories we're in it just like the rest of us. And we're all, we're just, we're just willing to talk about it because we're so fucking sick and tired of not addressing it and letting it continue to permeate. So this is an introduction to this whole concept of um, unraveling into this rebellious topic. And mm-hmm. so we do want to hear from you about what you feel about it and what, what you want to dive in deeper around. Cause we are happy mm-hmm. to do that, mm-hmm. uh, but we want to make sure it's, it's relevant to people that are listening. Yeah. Yeah. We're here for all of the hard stuff. Yeah. We'll do it. Like, just like Glennon. We're here for the hard things. Yes. Hard things together. All right. Thanks, James. Thank you, Linz. Thanks for listening. Listening. Ciao for now. That's a wrap. We sure hope you've enjoyed this episode. Linz and I are committed to a no-edit recording as we want the conversation to be as authentic as possible. We have a big vision of a transparent and fully expressed world, and allowing ourselves to be heard uncensored feels integral to that pursuit. In addition, our mission is to wake up, shake up, and raise up all authentic voices in cultivating a collective community of rebels on purpose. We are honored to invite you to join the circle and to share your rebel voice in our community. Community is built and sustained through participation, so circle up and engage with us on Instagram at Rebels on Purpose. If you enjoyed the show today, please drop us a review as this helps us widen our circle and lets us know what you'd like to hear. And lastly, from our fiery hearts to yours, we call you to speak up, be curious, and call forward the sacred rebel that burdens inside of you. What the world needs is humans who are fully alive, living a life on purpose, and honoring all that is sacred. 